All right. Well, morning. Glad to be here with you this morning. Um, we are wrapping up our series on the life journey that we've gone through over the last uh, number of weeks, as we've seen the infographic. Um, and this week, we are talking about worship. Um, and I kind of think that we probably should have done this message at the very beginning of this whole series, but also at the end of the series, because this is something that encompasses everything that we do. Um, because before we do anything, we worship, and as we do everything, we worship. And that is what we're going to look at this morning in a passage of Scripture uh, in Romans chapter 12. So I invite you, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12, we can do that. But I am going to... Uh, pray before we start. Lord God, we, we come before you and we praise you that we can, that we can be here, uh, that we can learn from you, um, from your word as your church. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would come. Um, and open our hearts and our minds to understand um, what you have for us and the truth of who you are. Lord, we pray against enemy, any schemes of the enemy, God. In the name of Jesus, he would not be here and not be allowed to speak. But it's only your truth and your voice, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 12. We are going to look at verse 1. That's where we're going to be camping out this morning. So you can turn there or go on the app or whatever. Or just, just listen as well. Romans 12.1 says this. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this morning we're looking at worship and what that encompasses and what that looks like in our lives. And here, this is what Paul says our spiritual worship is. Is by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercies, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. So he starts by saying... Uh, by the mercies or God, by the mercies of God, or in view of the mercies of God. So what he's talking about here is Romans chapter eight, nine, ten, and eleven, which sums up uh, kind of the idea behind that is just God's mercy in our life and what that looks like. And I think many times, I know in my own life, we vastly underestimate God's mercy in our lives, because. Um, God's mercy to us is not just, you know, Christ dying on the cross and taking our sin. It's each and every day. He gives us breath and takes it back and gives us breath. Every moment that we breathe, every step that we take is only by the mercy of God. Now, it's not just our breath or our steps or our living it's the goodness that he gives us as well. I was, 
I was joking with Pastor Michael a couple weeks ago um, about preaching a sermon where all it was was just a list of all the blessings that God has blessed us with um, in our country for us here and now. And we were, we were talking about, it was like, how long would it take for us to get uncomfortable? If for 30 minutes straight we just listed one thing after another, after another, after another of the goodness of God and the mercy of God in your life. You know, the fact that you're here, the fact that you can see me, hear me, sitting on padded pews in a nice warm building. We could go on and on. You all drove here in something or got a ride with someone. Maybe somebody walked or rode a bike, but you're still able to get here. We have a live stream. People can watch online from their home when they're sick. And that's just us here. What about in your own personal life? All the things that we have that we just take for granted, which is really just more mercy from God in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I like what Paul says. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? This is a rhetorical question. Nothing. Nothing. We've received everything from God. And not only just our material blessings. What about the stuff we have access to in our country? Libraries, our health care. Who's thankful for our health care in our country? What about clean water? We have access to clean water. So we have material blessings. We have access to things in our country by the mercy and grace of God. What about the knowledge that you have? Just knowing how this world works. That the earth revolves around the sun. You know, there's gravity. Have you ever thought about the knowledge that we have as a gift from God? And not just the knowledge of how this world works, but this is an even greater blessing is you know of God. You know the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets longed and yearned to know his name. We know his name. We take it for granted. Use it as a cuss word. We have so many blessings by the mercy of God in our lives. You only have it because he gave it to you. You only have it because he gave it to you. And not only the stuff that you currently have, it's also what he's kept you from. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the sin that he's kept you from. Because we could all be so much worse than we are. But it's by the mercy and grace of God that he has saved us. He's kept us from things. You guys know that the Holy Spirit is actually holding back sin in the earth? This earth would be a whole lot worse than it already is if the Holy Spirit let go. But he's involved. He's holding us back. So more mercy from God. Not just what you have. Not just what you know. Not just what you have access to. Not just what you've been held back from. There's so much. And this is where Paul starts here. He says, this is where we have to get our minds. And he actually, um, depending on the translation that you have, he says, um, I appeal to you. I plead with you. I urge you. I beg of you, is what he's saying. I beg of you, thinking about the massive amount of mercy of God that he has dumped on our lives. It's like, I beg of you to do this. There is a response that we have 
because of his mercy. And the response, Paul says, is that we are to present or to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Because of his mercy, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. What is he talking about there? Is he like actually talking about like my body? Yes. He is talking about your physical body, your flesh and blood and bones and muscles. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why would God want our bodies? I thought, I thought about getting a t-shirt made that's like, God wants my body, you know, Romans 12.1. Um, but I, I didn't, because I feel like, I don't know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's not in a sexual way. That's what our culture always does, is we just twist things. It's frustrating. They take everything physical and make it sexual. But um, he's not talking about it sexually, he's, but he is talking about our bodies, our physical flesh and blood and cartilage and everything that comes with it. I'm not a medical professional, so my, my knowledge is limited. Don't, doesn't God want our hearts? Yes. God wants your heart. He wants your, your feelings, your emotions. Doesn't scripture talk about God wanting our mind? Yes. God wants our mind, our, our thoughts, our, our reasoning, our understanding. But he says here he wants your body, your hands, your feet, your lips, your kidneys, your sexual organs. Interestingly enough, when he says, you know, offer your bodies, your bodies include your heart and mind, which God has also said that he wants. But why is it that he wants our bodies? Well, 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 gives us a good idea or answers that question. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify or honor God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Somebody else owns you. And he paid a great price for you. You were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ when he was crucified on that cross. So your body is not your own anymore. Now it belongs to Jesus. Because he's paid for it. He calls the shots. I think this is really important for us to understand. Because a lot of the time we think, well, Christianity, that's all like, you know, in, in your thoughts and in your beliefs. And it's kind of like this ethereal, you know, oh, kind of in that realm. No, this is where the rubber meets the road. Where it's our physical flesh and blood that belong to Jesus. Because he paid his flesh and blood for it, for us. You might be thinking, maybe you're not, I don't know. Does God really want my body? You know, I'm weak, I'm sick, I'm overweight, I don't like this part of my body, my ears are deformed, 
Um, I've got a weird birthmark. Does God really want my body? Doesn't the Bible say something about the sacrifice being pure and spotless without blemish? Isn't that what it talks about being a sacrifice? It's got to be pure and spotless. I don't measure up to that at all. I got moles everywhere. I actually was at the doctor's this last week to get one checked. Sorry if this is TMI for you guys. Um, and I was like, there's one on my back that I'm like, just got to get it checked out. My wife was a little concerned or whatever. And he's like, which one? <laughs> I was like, right. Anyway, it's all good. There's no issues. He's like, but I can remove it if your wife's really concerned. I was like, no, it's totally fine. Um, but doesn't it talk about us being, or the sacrifice needing to be pure and spotless? And yet, I don't think any of us are that. It's interesting, when you think about who the pure and spotless sacrifice was, Jesus Christ, he is who was accepted as pure and spotless and perfect on our behalf. So he was accepted pure and spotless, so now that God can accept our bodies that are broken and weak. But if you, find, uh, if you want to know something interesting, Isaiah 53, 2, this is how it describes Jesus. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, Nothing to attract us to him. This is Jesus, the perfect, pure, and spotless lamb without blemish. The Bible tells us that there was nothing in his appearance that was attractive. No beauty or majesty. He didn't look kingly. You know those pictures we see of the blonde hair and blue-eyed, like German Jesus? It's like, <laughs> no. Like, because that's like, oh beautiful Jesus, right? The Bible says no. There actually used to be a website that I would tell the youth group to go to all the time. It was called uglypicturesofjesus.com. It, it doesn't exist anymore, um, but it was just really bad paintings of Jesus is really all it was. It's like some of like his toes were like way longer. Anyways, um, but that's the reality. And I think we get this idea that I was like, he was just like, you know, physique was perfect. No. There was no beauty, majesty, Nothing in his appearance. Nothing. Not even a good ear. There was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. But yet we look at his life, and what do we see? People were drawn to him. Crowds followed him. Children ran up to be with him. Men and women have died for centuries for him. What does this tell me? What does this tell us? It's not about looks. It's not about appearance. We see that in the book of Samuel, where God says to Samuel, he's like, men, humans, they look at the outside, but it's God who looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. This is something that we really need to understand. This is something that we really need to teach and enforce in our children. Because everywhere you look now in our culture, it's all about appearance. It's all about beauty. But when we look at the most beautiful person, Jesus Christ, we see a different story, a different picture. Proverbs says, outward beauty is fleeting. It's here one moment and then gone, because that's our lives. And we place so much value and emphasis and purpose in it. And it 
that's empty. Because it's inside that really counts. The most important thing about your body is not how it looks. The most important thing about your body is what you do with it. Because God's not vain. He's not like, I want all the best looking people to come to me. He doesn't have a bunch of like perfect mannequins in his front window in heaven. Like, look at all these perfect people. No. God is interested in your behavior. The, the theologian A.M. Hunter says it this way. He says the gospel has two sides. One side of the gospel is the believing side. The other side of the gospel is the behaving side. What we do, how we act. And that is what God is interested in. What we use our bodies for and what we do with them. So that's what you do physically with your hands. Where you go, where your feet take you. The words we say with our mouths. What we put in front of our eyes, what we put into our ears. Maybe the gestures we make. The expressions we make on our faces. That's what God is interested in. Why does God want our behavior? Well, because it shows you who's in charge of you. How you behave shows you who's in charge of you. Because either it's one, sin is ruling in your life, or it's two, it's God. And we're submitting ourselves to him. And he's the one who has bought and paid for you. With his death. So, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it like this. It says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever we do in our physical bodies, we do for the glory of God. Doing things God's way. What does that actually look like then? Well, when you're filling out another form at work, we do it with honesty and integrity. When you shovel that driveway again, you shovel that driveway as if you're shoveling Jesus' driveway. You do it with love and dedication to serve someone else. When you build another Big Mac, you do it to the best of your ability as if Jesus is going to be the one eating that Big Mac. When you feed that baby, change that poopy diaper, we do it in love, which is what God has called us to live like. Love. It was love that brought Jesus to earth. It was love that crucified him on that cross. And now he says, I give you a new command and to love. That sums up everything else is to love. So we live in our physical, fleshly bodies in submission to Jesus Christ. And to submission to his way, not our way. Because he purchased us and he showers down grace and mercy in overwhelming abundance on your life. More than we will probably ever understand. You could sit and write down everything you could possibly think of and there'd still be more of God's grace that he's poured out in your life that you don't know. So we offer ourselves to him.
because of it. In gratitude and devotion. Paul says, in view of God's mercies, because of God's overwhelming mercy in your life, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What does that mean? Not dead. This is not a one-time event as the Old Testament sacrificial system would have been where they brought an animal because the animal was going to take on themselves the sin of the person bringing it. So I would bring a goat or a sheep, probably a pigeon, that's all I could afford. And they would impart, they'd say, this animal is going to be a substitute for you. It's going to have to pay the penalty of death, which is what sin deserves. That's what we all deserve, if you didn't know that. And so then they would um, kill that animal and his blood would be spurred out and that animal would temporarily absolve that person. Now, in the Old Testament, they were all waiting for the Messiah because everybody knew sheeps and goats and doves, they're not going to actually cover this long term. This is a temporary thing. And God was like, there's somebody else coming that's going to take it on permanently, which was Jesus on the cross. He was the sacrifice. Um, but he says living sacrifice, which means we don't die in that sense, which means this is not a one-time event. This is a lifelong thing that happens. It's not once a week that I'm going to be a sacrifice. It's like, okay, God, I'll be your hands and feet once a week or once a month. No, this is every moment, every day, because every breath you have, he's given to you. This is a lifelong journey. That's a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is just something given up. So we are a lifelong sacrifice given up to God to do his purposes and his will. Because really, that is better for us, right? Like when we try to make our own decisions, we just mess things up. I mean, we see story after story of that in the Old Testament. But when we do things God way, God's way, there's blessing and there's more mercy. He says that this sacrifice is supposed to be three things. Living, we've talked about that. Holy and acceptable. So what does it mean to be a holy sacrifice? The word holy just means different or completely different, um, which is what God has called us to do. In this world, we live completely different. What does that look like? That looks like us forgiving when people have hurt us. That looks like loving our enemies. That looks like helping the hurting and those in need. This goes against what the world tells us. It is something completely different. And when you look at Jesus' life, you see something that was completely different than what they had seen up to that point. That is what God is calling us to, to a life that looks different. So you can ask yourself the question, if you look at me and anybody random in this world, does my life look any different than theirs? Because it should. With Jesus, there's no way that your life will not look different. Because he changes us for the better. And he says this is acceptable, pleasing to God. I find, it, I find it awesome that we can know living the way God wants us to live, giving up of ourselves to him because he's bought and paid for us, and acting in submission to him, it says it's acceptable and pleasing to God. And he wraps it all up by saying, 
This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what worship is. We get stuck into the mindset that worship is what happens on stage with a band and they're singing and, and you know, whatever else happens. That's, that's an aspect of worship. That's what we would call corporate worship with all of us together. And, complete, complete side note, this is in my notes. Um, when we are worshiping God, he encourages us to use our whole body. I know this is tough for some Mennonite cultures, but we can use our hands. He says, I want men to lift up their holy hands in praise and prayer to God. That is powerful. We can kneel. This is physical acts, using our physical body to bring praise and honor to God. I mean, I actually thought one day, I was like, we probably will never do this because it would be so weird for everybody. I was like, what is the most like, acts of worship that we could possibly do at the exact same time all at once? And I was like, okay, if we're singing a song and we're kneeling and we're putting our money in the offering plate at the same time and, I don't know, whatever else. I was trying to think of what's the most possible ways we could worship God all at the same time because that's what he's worthy of. That's what he deserves. Um, but this, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says, is our act of spiritual worship. This is physically doing things with our bodies, how we walk upon this earth. There's a story that, um, that Paul tells of Epaphras, who brought money to him from, from the believers in the, in the area and he collected money and he brought it to him. And he said this was a pleasing act of worship to God. What did he do? He walked around, knocked on people's doors or went to church services like, hey, we got some friends in need. Da, da, da. Okay. Took money, walked with it, gave it to him with his hands. This is physical stuff that he's doing. And he says this is an act of worship. Everything we do in submission to God is worship. So whether that's swinging a hammer or watching kids, or whatever else it is that God has done, um, got you in your life doing. Do it all for the glory of God, because that is worship. Maybe you're like me, and you're not quite at that point where everything is to the glory of God. I'll be honest, I'm not. Um, there's a lot of times where I'm just focused on myself. And so how do we get to that point? How do we get to the place where everything we do is for the glory of God? Well, I think it starts where Paul starts, is understanding the weight of the mercy of God in our lives, looking at what he has done for us. Read of Jesus. Meditate. Marvel at who he is. Jesus said himself um, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the physical representation of God the Father. So if you want to marvel and put God the Father in his place, we've got to put Jesus in that place. And we look at him to see what God the Father is like. So if you're at the point where it's just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with, you know, putting God first in everything. Meditate on Jesus Read of Jesus. Marvel at the infinite worth of knowing him. So what do we do in view of this verse to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable to God? 
Well, we offer our sick, weak, broken, mole-infested human bodies to God every moment, every day. That's worship. That's worship. And let me tell you, if we do that, if every moment, every day, we offer God whatever we've got, the world will not be able to contain what God does. Because he is that powerful that he can take what is broken and hurting and turn it into something beautiful and amazing. That's what our God does. So let's offer what we have to him and walk in submission when he says, I want you to do that. Okay. Don't know how. I'll just try. Let's pray. God, we praise you and thank you for your grace. And even what my... uh, finite mind can understand is overwhelming of how much grace and mercy you have poured out on our lives. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and eyes to see even more so that we would lift you higher and higher and higher to the place that you deserve. For you are great, you are holy, you are awesome, and you are kind to us. We thank you for your son Jesus and his love for us how he cared enough to come and endure my punishment and took my place. I pray that we would always remember that and that we would offer whatever we have to you for your glory, not ours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, We are going to honor Jesus. We're going to take communion together. And I would invite you, if you believe that Jesus is God's son,